Welcome to the Walrus and the Carpenter. My name is Jason Alligood. I'm the teaching pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and with me is my good friend Gary Gear, who is the pastor of Calvary Baptist Bible Church, and we're both here in Peoria. So we need to answer a few questions, though, Gary, uh, to start off with. Uh, firstly, are we the Baptist counterpart to uh, Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt? I, I think there's actually three vital differences. Um, <laughs> Number one, neither of us are British, so we will not sound as convincing. Okay. Uh, number two, um, neither of us, I think, are heading along the Presbyterian Highway. And number three, we both have all of our hair. And I think that's a very important <laughs> distinction that has to be laid out there. Well, but, I mean, that's what I mean by the Baptist uh, counterpart, right? Because uh, Todd has fled our, our flock. I, I'm afraid so. He has, he has left the ranks of the Anabaptists. <laughs> And gone to our brethren uh, on the other side. I would say the other side of the pond, but it's a small trickling stream, I must say. The fun part about this is that Carl and Todd will probably never hear this podcast, so we're in safe. I think we're safe here. That is true. Us and all 15 of the people, including probably my mom and my wife, who will listen to this. Well, I, I, uh, I also – the other question that needs to be answered, and I think, I think what we need to do is always keep people in suspense about this question, is which one of us is the walrus and which one is the carpenter? It's kind of like that um, the the part of the TV show that never gets revealed, and then it gets canceled too early for you ever to find out. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and we'll leave we'll we'll leave you all guessing. I think because we're probably guessing ourselves. Um, Jason and by all, has again, a much... He does mean fifteen people. <laughs> Jason has the better mustache, but I'm I'm bigger than he is uh, weight wise. So hey, it's hard to say. Well, what was what are we going to talk about today, man? Uh, well. <laughs> The whole idea of this podcast is kind of taking some of the nuts and bolts down um, as far as practice in ministry. Where does doctrine and ministry interrelate, and how do they interrelate, and how do they feed one another? And uh, something that you and I have been discussing with some of our uh, ministry peers in the area, friends of ours, is the interaction of preparation for the message and 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 how it feeds into ministry or what type of balance time-wise should we as ministers show uh between sermon preparation and um and ministry itself you and i come from one tradition and i, I don't think this is telling tales out of school where basically it was kind of three uh three squares and a cot three alliterated points with a poem at the end and right Everybody lauded you. You know, if you could put a neat little poem at the end that you wrote, and uh, it was great preaching. And as we grew, and as God kind of ripped the scales away from our eyes, we saw that an expository approach to the text um, revealed the heart of God in a in a more comprehensive and effective manner than anything else. But then, as we wander into the big wide world. And uh, you and I both saw the uh, article that was posted recently. It was over. Was it at Pastorium, something like that? Yeah, I, that's what I was. I was going to try to look it up, but I can't remember yeah. the address. But I know what you're referring to, yeah, which uh, is that how much do how much time do pastors spend in the study? How much time are they are they 
preparing for messages. And yeah. some of these guys are one-shot guys. They do one sermon on Sunday. Other guys are guys who are doing two sermons per Sunday. And the and the timing of that was ve- was varied. I mean, it was it was I mean, uh, uh, amazingly so. I couldn't believe that. Now that brings up an interesting question. I think, kind of starting off, how many services do you prepare for each week, or how many speaking? Engagements? Do you prepare for yourself personally each week? Yeah, I think from the uh, idea of doing just a monologue, if you will, just me up front standing and speaking and not having interaction, there's only two of those per week. Um, in regard to uh, other times where it is more interactive, there's uh, three other times where I do that. So I have my Sunday morning, Sunday night, which are the actual, you know, expository preaching moments. And then I have a Wednesday night Bible study, which is uh, purposefully uh, structured in a much more interactive way. A Sunday morning uh, college and career class that I'm leading right now, again, more interactive, more asking questions. And then a Tuesday morning men's Bible study, which all the men are to be reading, supposed to be reading the same book and then we're interacting over that together and i i formulate questions for that as well so okay so how about for you gary well i basically fall on the same path now as as you know we're we're backsliding so we don't have as many sunday nights as you do okay. uh, pretty soon we're going to be doing a liturgical dance and having animal sacrifices uh uh or bagpipes, I don't know why. But um, isn't animal sacrifice and bagpipe pretty much the same thing? Pretty close, pretty close. <laughs> it depends on, on the animal you get. But but you but the 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 distinction, or I guess the point that that you laid out without putting it explicitly, there are some there there are some settings that compel us to approach the text in an expository fashion, whereas there's other settings where we simply don't. I mean, it, it just it just doesn't work. Or um, I won't say that it's not necessary because that sounds like we do expository, like we go to the dentist. We do it because we have to. But more along the lines of we understand that expository isn't necessarily going to be appropriate for every setting. There is a need for always thinking expositionally, I think, but not always necessarily um, presenting it pre- expositionally. presenting it expositionally, or for in, in the cases where I'm using a book study, you know, I'm going through knowing God with the college and career students. I mean, Packer has already laid those principles out for us, and so I'm kind of going through that and mining out the areas I think would be appropriate for those students to kind of walk through together and asking questions, and then having to do a little more work in some ways by digging out texts and saying, okay, how does this uh, appropriately fit what we're talking about together? You bring up another interesting point, and you're just chock full of them today, man. Um, <laughs> and when when we address the scripture in an expository manner, let's say Sunday morning, Sunday night, to what degree are we expecting them to follow in our footsteps and our methodology? Okay, of of sermon preparation, a la transferring it over to personal Bible study. If they, you know, if, if God calls them to, to teach wherever, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. No, personally. I asked you first, man. <laughs> I asked you. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm 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 just throwing that out there. I I appreciate that question. I I think that I've heard others say when you preach properly, you are teaching your people how to study the Word of God. 
Which is interesting because we do have classes on Bible study methods and hermeneutics and those sort of things. But can we effectively teach that through our preaching? And I think, yes, we can. And I think there's ways that we can insert that into the sermon. Uh, There are times where I'll say, now, when we're doing Bible study, we need to look at these sort of elements, X, Y, and Z, whatever the case may be. But then there are other times, I think, when it's not so quite pointedly uh, that case, where it just is... They're viewing you uh, walking through a text and being careful with that text and and not just tossing things out. So I think there is a sense in that, but I also see the the benefit to formal education in regard to that. No, so, I would definitely I would agree myself. I know some of my old seminary professors. I overheard one one uh, professor. I won't name his name in case he ever hears this, but way back <laughs> in the day in the nineties. Uh, he was telling another visiting pastor that it was um, an exercise in futility to try to teach his people to follow in his in his path hmm. to the degree that he had learned to exposit the the text. And there struck me to be a big old honking piece of elitism right mm-hmm. there. But at the same time, there is a very pragmatic point there, you know. Uh, Someone comes to me and says, hey, I want to understand the Bible. Well, here, here's uh, um, who's the Greek guy we all read and uh, his grammar on the New Testament. Wallace. Wallace, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Daniel B. Wallace. Daniel B. Wallace. And we get our B-A-G-D out for Hebrew. Here, here you are. This is your first entrance into the beauty that is studying God's word. Now, you know, where's, where's the accent? Mm-hmm. on on uh, Foreo. Um and and I know that's not what people are talking about. But you 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 referenced something earlier where the people see the care that you that you use when you approach the text. And I think that's a very vital point. I think that as much as anything is probably what we're talking about. Uh, almost an attitude is there a reverence is there a sense of wonder, hmm. a sense of awe, which 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 kind of dovetails into the point where I, th- I think that we're heading right, towards right. ministry and the word. I know there was uh, there was a uh, a thread over on Sharper Iron, sharperiron.org, uh, several weeks ago, uh, a letter to wannabe pastors, and the writer, a guy named by the name of Larry, up from the Detroit area, was pointing out, saying, "Hey, ministry is not all just about preparing." the right messages, but ministry is also about loving your people. Right. Um, when it comes to the message itself, to what degree do we interact with the people with what we have taught? Hmm. So you're saying um, Sunday morning sermon is done, and now I'm heading into my next week. I'm prepping for my Sunday morning sermon the coming week, and I need to now be with my people, shepherd them. How is what I taught the previous Sunday influencing my interaction with the people throughout the week? And then, and here's okay. and here's another question. This is kind of the big bugaboo. Are we spending more time than we need to on our preparation that prevents us from ministering to our people what we have taught them the previous week? Sure. Yeah, and I get that. And that, I think, is, you know, um, based on expectations, as many things are in our life, right? You have 
what is the expectation of the people? What is the expectation of your wife? What is the expectation of the leadership in your church? What is the expectation that you have placed upon yourself? And 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 sort of in my world, it's who's looking over my shoulder, and 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 not in a not in a um, you know big brother kind of a way, but who are those men that I look to and say, man, these guys are fantastic preachers, um, and they're looking over my shoulder whether uh, they really are or aren't. In, in in my conscience they are and so sometimes i feel guilty because i'm not spending you know like a macarthur spends supposedly 30 to 40 hours in study and and then you know i've heard people talk about john and say yeah that's true to some degree not every week clearly when you have a catalog like he has but um the idea of but you're not also seeing the other 20 30 hours where he's at the hospital he's ministering to people and then of course comes in the other elephant in the room which is how are, how in the world am i spending 60 70 hours doing church ministry and then being what i need to be as a husband and a father you see what i'm saying i it was interesting looking at uh, keller in that article you referenced when he said i mean he said very specifically when he pastored a smaller church i think he said four to six hours per week right and then as the church got bigger and he got more staff he actually spent more time in sermon preparation i i speak as one who uh was bivocational and pastored right. a little baptist church uh down in in indiana wonderful people love him to death but i couldn't spend i could barely spend 10 hours a week on sermon prep much less 15 16 and that was really pushing it mm-hmm. with all the ministry you know people with cancer people right. visiting all of that and uh so what is what is the a realistic expectation uh, for a guy who's in ministry? You and I are both solo pastors. Uh, we have leadership that we can lean on in some areas, but but these people have other jobs. They have they have families of their own. Um, what what's realistic for for guys like you and me? You know, sort of the the average pastor in the United States who who isn't the Tim Keller, who isn't the John MacArthur, who isn't the um, Matt Chandler, what's realistic? I don't know if I could nail it down to an hour to a, a, a metric of that sort. I would, I would have to go from the point to what degree is his learning from God's word and applying it to himself compelling him to minister to his people. Mm-hmm. If he's lacking the material, and by the way, it does take a fair amount of digging, like the type of digging you do for expository preaching. Um, I think it was Charles Bridges who talks, and I again, I appreciate what he said. It may be unrealistic. The fact that you need to spend almost as much time in application as you do in your exegesis, that if you are applying it to yourself, and by the way, this is, I think we, we, if we're not careful, we fall prey to the crisis of the weak syndrome, which I'll refer to <laughs> a little bit later. But you know what I mean? You know, yeah. this is, Christianity's dying unless we do this right now. And this is the worst thing in my life since seven days ago when I preached <laughs> right. on something else. Right, sure. Um, so we need to balance that out. But I, I think, I think I need to understand that what I'm learning from God's word as I preach to the people should compel me. And should 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 give a texture, should create a texture in how I deal with them. And I think that also has to do with the transparency of application. There are many pastors I appreciate, good expositors who preach without a lot of application, but I question the wisdom of that. I know that sounds kind of harsh. Yeah, but what 
what then do you have at the end of a sermon if there's not application? Well, there is that. And and to me, well, let me put it this way. Maybe sometimes the application seems too general. To me, I want to look my people in the eye. And, of course, you don't want to uh, discuss things during the message itself. And, you know, I'm, I'm preaching this over there and over there, Bobby, because I know that you're struggling with, you know, transgender issues or you're struggling with 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 cancer sue or whatever else but that the people know that i'm aware enough of their situation that when i lay these things out they know i'm talking to them and they know this is god's word this is what i'm hoping will address and change the way they look at their life through that but they have to know that i know enough about their life sure sure and i think again not to not to pick on the guys who have thousands in their church. It's a little easier to do that when you have a smaller uh, fellowship of people. I'll pick um, on them. Okay. <laughs> no, just, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Well, one of our good friends, uh, Daniel Bennett, has – He's your good friend. I'm still suspicious. I'm still suspicious, man. He, you know what? He's the only one of us who doesn't have a beard. <laughs> that's and true. Daniel, if you're listening to this, that's the one barrier between you and me is facial hair, man. Uh well, what I was going to say was, you know, he does have a church that's easily six times the size of our church. But yet, I, I, when, I when we talk to him, I sense that real passion. And again, not that these other guys don't have this passion, but no. talking with someone who has, you know, that size church uh, for, for that sort of pastoral uh, input into the lives of people. And you wonder if there is a... Uh, just just because we're human beings and we're fallen, if there can be a sense of a generic sort of application to a generic crowd, if I don't have those kind of relationships, I mean, it just presents a different dynamic. Well, here, let, let, let me ask this, though, and I can understand what compels us towards a generic application, but I think this is where transparency kind of kicks in. Where, again, you don't want to make it about you. You don't want to make it about yourself every week. But when you see that there's not application out there, if you've been applying this to yourself at some point, whether it comes out your pores or whether you lay it out explicitly to say this is how this truth is impacting me. This this is how this truth is changing the way or this is how I hope this truth will change the way that I look at things. Sure. But I think maybe a, a natural result of that then is I, if it impacts me in that way, it ought to then propel me into ministry in other ways throughout the week. And I think that's what we were, you, you tended to be heading towards earlier. Well, I, I think of First Peter 5, and yeah. he says, how do pastors lead? Mm-hmm. They lead by uh, by demonstrating, and you can't... To, to put it bluntly, there there comes a point where you study yourself to where people can't see you lead or they right. can't see your life. And once you've gotten to that point, all you become is a talking head. I mean, if I may put it this way, I, I, I do appreciate Alistair Begg and John MacArthur and John Piper and Al Mullern and Mark Dever and all these other guys who, who preach. I'm listening to some of to some of, uh, of your messages. But there is a qualitative difference between yours and theirs. I see your faith play out. So if I may use this term, you actually have more of an influence on things in some ways than they do. Because sure. they may have great relationships back home and running their churches just privilege, although Piper's 
he's retired now. Right. Um, but I don't see where the rubber meets the road. And there is an organic element, I think, to minister biblical leadership, which is not only the preaching of the word, but I think what Kevin DeYoung calls it, the applauding through Christianity. I mean, we live in a very celebrity-based society. I You saw the status I put on Facebook today about that dialogue that my wife and I had. Uh, remind uh, me. Oh, the one about <laughs> she told me to hang up the shirts and all of that. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I told her, well, did you also go you know, <laughs> dip him in the river and beat him on a rock? Because right. only if you're in them. Right. And it's funny how I kept looking back to see how many people liked that. Right, right, sure. There's something in us that, that loves the part of ministry that we know we are noticed by. And that's the speaking part. It's not... right. So let me ask you this then, because I mentioned those guys looking over my shoulder who really are not personal mm-hmm. um, friends of mine. They're just men that I respect in the ministry. Do you think that uh, that that celebrity kind of environment that we live in drives you or drive? I mean, I can say this for myself, but I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Does it drive you to spend more time in the study so that you can equal or seek to have a status like those men. And I don't mean that necessarily. <laughs> well, I know that sounds very personal and I'm, I'm prying you know a little what, bit, though, but, but, but here's, here's the heck of it. It do, it pushes me toward in, in one way and it's not them doing it. Right. When, 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 you know, I've, I've been to together for the gospel, things like that. And these guys have preached encouraging, great messages. And I know the farthest thing from their mind Mm-hmm. is I want you to emulate me so you can get followers too. And I right. praise God for that. I'm yeah. really thankful for that. My sin nature though, right? Uh, my sin nature sometimes wants a piece of the action. Sure. Yeah, and both of us, I mean, I don't want you to be the bad guy here. Both of us talk about that when we're together and we and we uh, admit that. And I I just again wonder because we look at guys like that and like, oh, it must be so nice to have multiple staff and you know these other guys are attending these other things we can just spend time in the study i don't think i could survive like that personally Gary. Yeah. i'm a people person i like to be with the people of my church and um and i think also we an element of this that we haven't really talked about is that sometimes those aren't the easy situations it's not i mean it's really easy for me to go sit down in a couple's living room and enjoy coffee with them and, and chat and just kind of catch up and visit in that way. But what about the the guy who's dying from cancer or the person you're having to confront about sin? I mean, that's all a part of this as well. And I think it's easier to, for me, I don't want to speak for you, to escape into the study and say, well, I didn't get a chance to address that this week because I really had to study. With me, I think when I look at my schedule, there's been a few times when I've said, okay, I've had too much going on last week. Last week I had the retreat to get ready for, and there was all of that. And I think I had a valid reason then. But for most of the time, when I skip out on ministry opportunities, it's because I didn't do my time well, and I know I didn't arrange my time well. And I just I just let it go right over my head. Thankfully, my, my secretary has uh, entered into the uh, fray and uh, – I tell her a list of things I want to get done by the end of the week, and now she's starting to uh, remind me of those things, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, this brings up something else, and I'm thinking of Hebrews five eleven through 14 about the exercise of what we learned in all of that. You and I, and 
other pastors out there, even though even those who aren't listening to this, <laughs> I think we all recognize in a very real sense that we are held accountable for what we learn from God's word. Mm-hmm. How does that look to you? Since week in, week out, you are digging from two different passages. I know from you, you're going through First Thessalonians. Yeah, on Sunday night. On Sunday night, and during the day, you're moving through the uh, the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, right. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, uh, you're doing a thematic study there. So. Right, right. Whatever that means. <laughs> well, it's, it's cool. It sounds good, man. Um, uh, but what does it look like to you to think, okay, this week, I see there's these issues, and God holds me accountable for how I deal with them. And then mm-hmm. knowing in just six days, mm-hmm. you've got a whole new batch. Yeah, that is that is the, um, because of the way that my, my weeks are structured, Sunday leads right into Monday for me because oh. I take Fridays off um, because I'm a pagan according to you. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but but seriously, sun, sun, the first thing on my mind Sunday afternoon, even though I'm still reviewing for Sunday night is, Monday is going to be here the very next day, and I'm jumping into something brand new. Not in, in a sense it's brand new, but, you know, obviously passage leads into passage, which I think it would be more scary if I were into the topical thing. Like, now yeah. i got to come up with something new this week to oh, yeah. come up with. But um, It's and, not and, scary. There's thousands of guys who do it out there, and they love it. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Four-part series. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mind. dead. And I don't... <laughs> Saw that out there. Oh, there was one last year around. Uh, did you show me the one last year around um, Easter that had the Walking Dead bunny? I, no, no. That, I think, I was, I think Phil was Johnson put that out there, and I can't remember if we shared a laugh about that. A sad. I mean, we cried and laughed because it was so terrible. But yeah, and I get that. And, and in fact, when I'm done with First Thessalonians, I'm planning on doing a, a series on evangelism and discipleship. So, but but those sort of things. Even if they're planned out ahead of time, I mean, I've written out. Here's how I'd like to approach the thematic, uh, the, the thematic study of the Pentateuch, and so I'm always referencing that. But there is that fear of, I don't want to get this wrong, not because my people may not learn something. God's going to use His His Word and His Holy Spirit, regardless of me. But I am held accountable for that, and and that seems like an imbalanced statement to say that. I'm not saying toss the study out the window because God's going to use his word regardless, but, but I am held accountable for something. So it does haunt me if that's what you're asking. No. I, and I, I hope you lose sleep over it, but, uh, <laughs> and, and also not as much as the, as the vampire bunny walking from the dead last year, but that, that would do it. I think of the way that I do issues. And today it's Monday. I'm going to start my preparation for Sunday morning and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to break down and translate from Greek and do some expository work for a few hours after I leave here. And it won't be until about Friday that I really sit down and I really dig in. I mean, I'll have dug in all week, but I will have really started to fine-tune things, put in illustrations, put in introductions, um, think about this. And you brought up the point, and I do the same thing, that I I do it on Sunday and I finally deliver. And as you and I mentioned in the conversation before we started, sometimes we realize things about the text in the middle of our message that we didn't see previously. We're like, oh man, holy cow. Lord, just keep me from preaching heresy for the rest of this message. (laughs) Yeah. And then we get done, and rather than spending time to meditate Mm -hmm. and absorb what we've learned through that entire process, we go right into the next group. That's a great point. I wonder, huh, 
I wonder if a way to, I don't know, not not so much uh, circumvent that, but to be aware that that's taking place. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I think uh, that's a great and, you know, a, a very convicting point actually to consider. I've just admitted in the midst of my sermon that I have not figured something out. And instead of going back and figuring it out, I just skipped to the next passage. <laughs> I'll get and, it the next time. Yeah, go, I'll preach yeah, this you know, book. Like, yeah. In 10 years from now, when I go back through Exodus uh, 1 and 2 again, I'll, I'll get to it then. Not to, that's a very, very, uh, very good point. And, and even, I think, deals with that issue of, of shepherding. Um, because I want to be honest. I want to be able to say, hey, there's things I don't understand about this text. And people need to know that we're real. And I don't think that people can know that we're real if we're not in their lives and, uh, like we're talking about. So, do uh, you ever discuss your sermons with your church members before you deliver them? Like you discuss, say, "Hey, I'm looking at this. What do you think?" Or I'm going to make this point. If I said this from this, what would you think of that? Not often enough to remember to, in order to answer that question. So clearly, the best answer at this point is to say, "No, Gary, I have not done that." Okay, I was just curious. I've, have you done that? I've done it a few times. Yeah, um, it depends. And again, like I said. You're working through – I try to do a few hours a day, so I'm doing exposition and such, and it's more towards the beginning of the week that I do ministry. I meet people for lunch. I meet people for breakfast. I get together. I had someone sure. I met this morning. And around Thursday or Friday, I tend to cut those things out to make sure that I have everything else necessary and needed to do. But it's interesting because that's when – the text is finally kind of plowing home into my own life where, pardon me if I may use this very rough an analogy, where the Holy Spirit's sinking his claws into my soul and sure. saying, okay, this is what's, what's, what's going on at this point. Yeah, and I think that that does raise a really interesting uh, point, and that is that when texts are being infused into our life through the study of the Word of God, it can't help but come out. Like you said, I think earlier, does it come out of our pores? Yeah. You know, and I think that when I am ministering to people at whatever level, whether it's in, in joyful times and times of crisis, that is that does seem to be true. Um, because really, you and I know that there are there are basic truths that all of Scripture talks about. And, and so whatever those 10 to 20 things are that are kind of just there in the scriptures, those verses that we're studying for that week are kind of going to, in one way or another, express those truths in our life and, and give us a, an anchor, I think, to kind of point people to. We can say, hey, you know, I've been studying in the Pentateuch or I've been studying in, in the Gospel of John as you're doing now. And, and here's here's where I think the rubber meets the road for that. And we may not express it that way with those people but in our minds we're going oh my goodness i am dealing with this in this text and and i'm now able to minister to this person because god is ministering in my heart through this text even as i speak with this person or, or interact with this person do you do you experience that yeah and i i think being honest with them of can we course, use can we use the word experience by the way experience is that a, i experience a lot of things <laughs> i experience you know hey Never underestimate the value of a good hallucination. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. Answer the question, my no. friend. I was, I was channeling Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon in my head as you were saying that. Um, um, going back, yes, when, when you're going through it and you're talking people through it, and even as you're talking with them, you are seeing things about yourself at that point. And there's sometimes... 
that's why whenever I'm talking with someone who's in the church or whatever else, I have a piece of paper down or a book that I'm writing in so I can remember what they're saying without interrupting. And also I can write down things I'm thinking for use further on for my own self to go back and reflect on that and say, okay. And sometimes I'll just bring it back up to the person. I'll say, you know, while, while you were saying this about the text and I was thinking about it, this really came to mind and this is what God has shown me about myself. And then to throw it back at them and say, okay, what do you think? Do you think this is true about me? Do you think, you know, as a, as a fellow believer in Christ, and it kind of throws the people off sometimes that the pastor is asking those type of questions of them. Sure. Uh, but I think a pastor needs to model his interaction with the text to the people. I was talking with someone recently in my office asking them how often they were intentional with what God was doing in their life. That is, were they recognizing this is how God has changed me throughout the years? And this person said, no, not really. But we talked about that there's this need for it. I think that's where why the Psalms talks of meditation. Um, we see right. that 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 pattern in the psalms being self-aware without being narcissistic sure sure blog about it you know put it on facebook <laughs> yeah do a selfie a spiritual selfie a spiritual i wonder what that would selfie. like that <laughs> hey gary how many years have you been in in full-time pastoral ministry or not even full-time because you mentioned being bivocational so how many yeah, how many I, years have you been I, preaching I, the word as a, as a oh, pastor oh teaching my pastor? um Probably 14. No, 24. 20. 24. you got to add a decade there. i got to do, man. <laughs> this is me with early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 46 years old. Um, how about you? Yeah, uh, it's been about 16 years of full-time ministry. Obviously only been a, a teaching pastor almost a year now at, at Fellowship Bible Church. Now, that brings up a point. How do you see your teaching dynamic changing? Now, this last year, you've really been going full-time, and, and you're entering sure. into the process of preparation and sure. preaching and ministry. Yeah, well, people keep telling me I'm getting better, whatever that means. So, uh, I, yeah, for me, it's been the challenge of, I think, exactly what we're talking about, and I've so appreciated our conversations about it. And uh, make a little plug for Timothy Whitmer's book, uh, Shepherd Leader, which I think addresses uh, this issue very well. And... Um, for me, I think what has been modeled to me in that expositional sort of ministry that, that you and I are in the midst of, the kind of circles we run in, is that you, you, need to, you need to be in the Word. You need to be in the Word. You need to be in the Word. And not that I didn't see also modeled shepherding, but I think what was driven home to me was the, the Word aspect of it. And I think that is absolutely crucial. But I think I'm learning in this first year that, and, and had learned very early on through some mistakes that I made even in my time here, that that shepherding aspect must be uh, a part of the balance of ministry as I'm doing it. And that was sort of what I was going to ask you. If there is a young pastor out there or a young aspiring, uh, a guy who's aspiring to be a pastor, um, what would your advice be to him about that balance of, of word and ministry? Man, um, I think probably the biggest part, and you've you've covered it well, and we've discussed a lot of it. And I say this, having it, it took me nine years being bivocational, as God just beat the holy living daylights out of me with this. 
that in order to have effective ministry, I really needed to know the well, the word well, and I needed to constantly be in a process of knowing the word well. And if I really, really needed to know the word well, I was compelled to minister. Okay. And to find yourself in that constant, um, I don't know what you would call it. I wouldn't call it symbiotic, but more with that sense where you have these two tensions constantly feeding each other. Sure. Because once you find that you're able to learn, but you're not compelled to minister to, to others. One of the things that I found interesting, and it, it kind of shocked me, but as I was towards into my bivocational career, I listened to Mark Dever and others talk about the fact that it finally occurred to them that they should go out and be evangelists themselves. I'm thinking, holy cow, how can you guys not know this? <laughs> And then I realized how arrogant that was. And I realized, you know, if I had not been bivocational all those years, I would probably have done the same thing. I would have put myself in a safe little cloistered area. I, I would have, and not intentionally either. Right. I would have just defaulted to that and not realized that I needed to keep reaching out and spending time having, having unbelieving friends without trying to shove the gospel down the throat or whatever else and, and, and learning and growing and ministering. I mean, it literally took nine years for God to do that. And I'm saying this, hoping that they'll spare themselves nine years of pain. Sure. Um, don't be as dumb as I was, but really look to see if what you're learning from God is compelling you to minister and make sure that your ministry is can literally be rooted in what you are learning about God through your personal worship, through your study for expository or whatever else, what, what you are reading. Um, having gone to seminary, and one of the reasons why I walked away from my THM at that time, probably partly I was probably a crappy student, but... <laughs> It sounds much more spiritual <laughs> if I if I do say also that I saw a lot of my friends who went through the same thing who are more enamored with initials and who are more enamored with the idea of having written these things rather than taking it and seeing the fusion of life and scripture. And I knew that I could very easily fall prey to that. I did not want to see myself becoming that type of person at that moment. Yeah, that's good. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, this has been good, man. We're kind of out of time here today. One, there's one, um, you mentioned a book. There's one book that uh, I would bring up by Charles Bridges. Okay. And I, let me see if I can find it. I can't find it. There's a book by Charles Bridges that he does about ministry. It's it's on the sources of failure in the ministry by Charles Bridges, an incredible, incredible book uh, written back in the 19th century. If you can get a chance, I'd highly recommend it. It really lays a good balance as far as the role of expository preaching and also as far as how it should change the way we live. And uh, I always return to that every so often. Well, that's good stuff, man. Really appreciate the conversation today. Um, I will say this, if anyone, once we do start putting these out there, uh, feel free to uh, throw out any questions, email us any questions, any thoughts. We'll be glad to deal with them on the air if it makes us look good. Otherwise, we'll <laughs> pretend like we'll never deal with them. And seriously, as those of you out there who hear this, who are aspects of ministry you would like to see discussed, um, don't hesitate to email us, to, 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 to throw it out there. We will, we will be bringing in some guests at different times. Um, there's one I'd like to do in bivocational ministry, and I know a few local bivocational ministers I'd like to bring in on this. I'd like to look at at how we see various Anabaptist people or, or Protestants 
per se or Anabaptist becoming more and more uh, more and more liturgical. Uh, hmm. And we've got some local friends who've gone to a more high church and, and to discuss that with them. Uh, so things like that we're going to be throwing out there. And um, our role is not to have controversy. Our role is not to attack other people. So please keep that in mind also. And hold us accountable to it. And that email address is twc at fbcpi.org. Again, that's twc at fbcpi.org. We hope to hear from you. And we'll catch you next time.